Shall we do this? Yep. Okay, here we go. This is Silicon Reel, the video podcast dedicated to the people of London's technology startup scene. I am Brian Rose. I'm also the host of London Reel. It's a similar but longer uh, trialogue format uh, that features guests like drug smugglers and cage fighters and politicians sometimes too. Um, my co-host is Mr. Colin Pyle. This is his idea. Uh, if you don't like it, you can email him. Um, personally. Personally, yeah, if you want. Um, Colin comes to us via Toronto, China, and India. He's got quite a cool story about riding motorcycles. If you want to hear more about him, we did a, a show with him on London Reel about a month ago. I think it was called Motorcycling Across China. I think so, yeah. I try to keep the title simple. Yeah, it's you pretty know. easy. Yeah, so, um, uh, so yeah, there you go. And our guest today is Courtney Boyd-Myers. Uh, who began her career writing for publications like Forbes magazine, Huffington Post, and the IEEE Spectrum. That one stuck out at me. Do you want to know why? Why? When I was in seventh grade at the Greater San Diego Science Fair, I won the IEEE Award. Really? For my science fair project. I was a bad little motherfucker. What was the project? Um, it was, uh, I built like a cathode ray tube on my own with my own vacuum pump and I was like sending electrons through it and all that stuff. Wow. I was like a serial science fair kid. I mean, I, I went to state level and... Really? Yeah, that was my thing. Wow. Some have you guys, heard of Dean Kamen's first program? No. It's, uh, Should I have? It's a way to get... It's, it's for inspiration and recognition in science and technology and it's a way oh. to get kids as excited about engineering as... Most kids are excited about football, and so it's a, uh, a robotic soccer or here football game, and then the kids get together in teams and, and build these robots and I like play that. soccer. I know. I don't see the science fairs here. They kill me, but we'll, we'll talk about that later. But I got cash and a savings bond as well. Wow. So I still remember it. Yeah. Really? It was a big deal. This is a big moment. Yeah. yeah. So um, anyways, back to Courtney. Um, you, uh, you moved to London fairly recently, I think from New York, and within six months, she was named one of the 100 most influential people in London's tech city. I'm not on that list. <laughs> You're not on that list. Not even close. Yeah. That's and pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Um, yeah. She's currently a member of uh, 10 Downing and Tech City's advisory board, and you're a mentor for uh, companies like SeedCamp and uh, BBC Worldwide Labs. And I'm not finished with Courtney. Uh, most recently, she's launched Audience.io, and uh, I think it's a transatlantic company designed to help uh, New York and London-based technology startups grow internationally. Got and it. you've got clients like YPlan on board which are big here in London. You've got Yplan app. I'm going to download mine. It's, a, it's for going out at night. It's very cool. So, uh, and she also blogs about her smoothies in her spare time. I mean, they have to go somewhere. <laughs> and she was voted one of the most 100 uh, most influential smoothie bloggers in London. I wish. <laughs> within the first six months. Anyways, welcome to uh, Silicon Valley. I might be on that list. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> Thank uh, you so much for having me. Cool. Thanks for being here. It's, uh, it's nice to have someone... Who, who knows what's going on in New York uh, because, you know, this is a London-focused piece, but we, we have to notice that there is some stuff going on in New York and Silicon Valley, and so I think you're going to bring a unique perspective. Sure. So I have to ask what I'd ask most Yanks. I'm a Yank. You're Canadian, so we're all North American. Moving to London, what's been, what do you miss most about New York, and what do you don't miss? What do you just like, this is better here? Uh, there is a unparalleled energy in New York City. And it's, it's like, just you feel it when you wake up in the morning, you feel it when you brush past people on the street, you feel it when you go to bed at night. I love the heat of New York, literally. Um, the fact you don't have to wear a jacket out at night is just like amazing. <laughs> the, um, you don't? It gets cold? In the summer. Oh, okay. The, uh, the sort of serendipitous interactions you have with people as well, because everyone's just packed together so closely and you can go from 
the Lower East Side to Soho to the West Village and all you know in one night no problem. London's a little bit more spread out uh, in order to go from Shoreditch to Soho to Clerkenwell it would be like quite costly and, and not really efficient and I think that has an impact because you're not running into as many people on a daily basis as you as you normally would. Um, like any good uh, you know, expat in London, I, I complain about the weather, but we're, we're really lucky right now. And um, like we were talking about earlier, like London in this kind of beautiful sunny weather is the best place in the world. Um, Unless you're suffering here, from here. hay fever. Oh, which I've been... Yeah, my last, entire like, intern weeks. staff is all really Jeez. sick from hay fever. And it just destroys Really? You. Oh, it just God. ruins the day. It ruins, yeah, everything. I mean, you know, Courtney came here on a bicycle. It's yeah. sunny in London. Yeah. I think London is more like a suburb than a city because it's just easy. It's, it's spread out and it's fun. Yeah, and I grew up in the suburbs, so there's something about hearing the trees, you know, outside your window as you're going right. to bed at tonight, which is so wonderful, and I will probably right. never have that. Anymore. And not the sirens, you mean? Yeah, yeah exactly. You know, there's there's something really peaceful about London, and uh, and you know, someone said the other day, you know, why I think London's a great place to work is because the weather is always shit, and so. It doesn't matter if you work on a Saturday and a Sunday, you know. When it gets dark at 3.30 in the winter. It's yeah, like, what else you like, I might as well be on my computer. It's not yeah, like yeah, I'd yeah. rather be doing anything else right now. Sure. I always just think when it's a really bad day, I'm like, it'll just clear all the suckers out. So right. the real people will stay in London right. and it just clears the riff out for how they might be here because of the sun, because sure. you're not here because yeah. of the sun. Yeah, there's a grittiness about London, which I think is kind of what you're saying, that people are like sticking to it and they mm. love it and they've got a lot of pride. And I really appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, it's like the guys on the wall in Game of Thrones. You know, they're up right. there and it's just, it's, <laughs> it sucks, but they're like, we're just going to keep doing it. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's a bad analogy. <laughs> you know, it, earlier, before we started, you were talking about like the similarity between, say, the tech startup scene now and the way it was in New York like four or five years ago. I, I might sure. Be, and I was just wondering if you could explain that for people that don't know. I mean, a lot of people didn't grow up in, in the New York tech scene. So. so probably like 2009 to 2010 in New York, there was this... Uh, you know, we had companies like Foursquare that were founded, companies like Tumblr, these like really social technology companies. You know, everyone was getting on Twitter and talking there, and, and the media scene was getting involved with the tech scene, and it was all overlapping. Um, you know, people saw, okay, it, it actually isn't that hard if I want to quit my job in advertising and go start a company that, you know, maybe I'll work with the creative agencies, maybe I'll, I'll be a social platform, and then I'll, I'll build it off of what Silicon Valley's built, whether that's like Amazon or Facebook. Um, and I think, you know, we started to see people connecting at ever-increasing rates and just networking a bit more. And, and, like, more events were happening almost every night. You could go out and find a tech event. Um, the New York Tech Meetup, which is where New York companies come and demo their new products, now has a secondary ticket market for seats in this, like, huge hall at NYU. Uh, the accelerator program started coming in, so we had like first Techstars was one of the big ones, and then now there's probably like 10 or 20 um, that are all different sizes, and then the co-working spaces, and so you just start to see this whole ecosystem build up, and in the past like two years in New York, we've started to see like a number of exits, and you know exits are kind of what makes this whole startup world go round. Uh, and now in London, so I think, you know, the, I don't want to say that London's like behind New York in, in any way because they're just so different. But you know, in terms of the amount of events and the amount of co-working spaces and accelerators, you know, there are some similarities to London in 2013 and New York 2009, 2010, where you have like tech and media coming over, websites like Tech City News starting, accelerators like Techstars coming over and opening up their first international campus or first international program here in London. Um, General Assembly, the company that I moved over to London with, is another example. You know, they said, well, we need to open up another campus, and they decided on London over San Francisco. 
Um, we've seen a, we've seen quite a lot of that. And so there's there's London's like London's just kind of killing it right now. Um, but it's it's not at the point of it being too bloated. I feel like people are are just I don't know. It's like the sweet spot. It's mm. a really good time to be here. How, how do you think London keeps that trajectory? Right, because New York's kind of like you said, maybe flattened out a little bit or just kind of losing that energy. And, and, I, and how, how does London keep that? Yeah, I don't think New York's losing the energy at okay. all. I think it's just become like really chaotic and okay. like everyone's in the tech scene and you don't have to explain to anyone anymore what you do if you say you're a founder or a tech entrepreneur. They right. no longer think you work in IT. Ooh, okay. <laughs> um, in London, you know, I remember when I first came over here three years ago to explain that I work in tech, you know, uh, people's parents said, oh, well, do you just sit around in your boxers all day? Right. Like, whatever the female equivalent of that is. <laughs> and the, uh, you know, are, are, are you homeless? Are you freelancing? Like, what do you mean you, you own a tech startup? And it just, like, wasn't as familiar. And now they, they get it. And now I'm getting, you know, anytime my friends that work in advertising or film are like, I have a question about the internet, they come to me, which is quite funny. So, like, they're, they're starting to get keyed in and it's starting to permeate other industries in London. Yeah. Um, New York, it's just, like, I would almost use the word saturated, like, uh, you know, it's almost like people that were involved in it round one are kind of like, oh crap! Like now, I kind of want to chill out and not go to these events every right. night because it's it's going to be like really crowded, basically. Yeah, yeah. And what it's interesting to see like what we can learn and what we can do right. I mean, obviously, uh, uh, Bryce Keen is one of the co-hosts, and he does the Silicon Drink about, which is this really social scene. I've been to about three or four, but I just find it kind of fun. It's it's not everyone's pitching. It's kind of got that English relaxed vibe to it. Yeah. I mean, do we need more things like this? I mean, I call him the lubricant of the machine because you know he just puts people together and people come to these things and meet each other. I mean, do we need more things like that to keep it on track? Or yeah, I mean, I have this image in my head right now of like the way cells come together and form and they you know form this big blog and then they break off into lots of little things and you kind of need these events to become larger and larger and larger so people come to them and then you know people are then enabled to break off and form their own kind of events and maybe three beards um you know with their silicon drink about maybe it does become to the point where it's like you know 300 people on a Friday. Yeah. Um, that's wonderful. And then maybe they give that to someone else to run and then the guys are doing their own kind of like, you know, 20 person things that are that are more creative and, and more involved and just different. Um, it kind of mirrors like social media right now. Like now there's too many friends on Facebook right. and now you want a more private group. We're going to the beer to drink about tonight and it's like, it's at Badu, which is like a social media Kind of dating, dating company, and like it's together. already full. They got two hundred fifty people, and they got one hundred fifty yeah. people on the wait list. So we're already right. getting there. Already yeah. getting there. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. but you're, you're right to draw the parallels between social networking online and in, mm. in real life networking, mirroring that. You know, the internet is kind of like the modern day fire or electricity that people are just immediately drawn to, and it's just like kind of a, a network effect. You know, we hear about it first because we're early adopters, and we love the internet, and we love media, and we're always online sharing. You know, people in other industries are just going to take a little bit more time, but they'll be they'll be knocking at the doors, <laughs> like saying, hey, can I get into the drink about, hey, I like want to learn to code, I want in on this too. Well, what do you think London can do uniquely? Like you see all the businesses here, you're pretty well in touch with what's happening in the scene. What do you, where do you see London winning when say the Valley or the Alley won't be able to put certain things together? Are there certain business models or a few things that have really lit up your mind? Um, two things. Well, first there's a bit of like an arbitrage play that, that London could benefit from. And that's when they see successful business models right. take off in San Francisco and New York. It's like, right you know, why not make those work for London and start your own companies? You know, 
before the New York guy gets over. And one of the things with audience I am doing is trying to tell the New York guy, like, hey, someone's going to coffee cat you unless you, you stick your brand in the ground over there, and then, right. you know, vice versa. Um, the, the second thing is that I think both New York and London have to its advantage is, is the multitude of industries, um, is the multitude of creative agencies and brands. So like Silicon Valley has this to a certain extent, but it is mostly these really big tech companies and then the small ones. So um, while there's probably more access to capital there and, and maybe more you know, developer talent, here we have the ability to get like you know the um, CMO of some big brand in the room and like the head of a creative agency and then like a couple founders of startups and maybe think of a really cool way to like all work together that way. Um, that's something I think is happening more and more in New York and London. Something that probably could define London in a way is like our, our creative startups, our media focused ones. And do, do you think, they say it, and I've, I've been in London for 10 years, that the Yanks don't understand Europe, as in they, they have a hard time going from what works in America to what works in Europe. And so the best way to do that is kind of go on its doorstep in London, where it's somewhere in between to try to understand that market. Do you agree with that or disagree? Yeah, that definitely happens. Mm. I think, you know, there's the language barrier, which is obvious, you know, in countries like Germany, we, we tried to go over there with General Assembly. Um, we had an education model where we were asking people to pay money and it was like, you know, really well received in the States because we were charging $5,000 for a 10 week coding course, which relative to your 40 grand a year tuition isn't that much to bite. But in London, when you're charging 5,000 pounds for a 10 week course, that's quite a lot because the one year tuition is about nine or 10 these days. Um, take that to Berlin and it was just like, Tuition's free. Yeah, it was kind of, it was really an uphill battle to, right. you know, get people to understand, like, why they should pay for this. Um, you know, it was a really new concept. So I think some American companies come over just thinking, like, okay, well, what worked for us will work in London and Europe. And I think that's quite arrogant. Um, I think people don't maybe do enough research on the ground and meeting people and interviewing people and figuring out how to adjust the model. Like... McDonald's wouldn't just go to India and sell cheeseburgers. So, like, why are New York startups just coming over to London and, and sort of shoving in their models as is? Yeah. And we had John Collison on last week, and I know you interviewed him. Now, he's got four people here now in Clerkenwell, you know, for Stripe. And so you advise brands on how they make this stretch across the Atlantic. And, I mean, does it take boots on the ground? Do you need people here out there making those meetings? You can't just get your url.co.uk. I mean, like, yeah. what, you know, what does it take to, to get your brand? It depends on the tech. And, like, I use the example of, of Foursquare is a very social technology company. Um, it's success was very much built on the fact that the founders, Denz and Naveen, were out in the scene. You know, they were at these events. They were throwing these events. When they sent over two really young guys to work on Foursquare in London, and, and I don't even, no one even knows, like, where their offices were or who these guys are, and all of a sudden, like, Foursquare was available in the UK iTunes store, and, like, they didn't really make a splash in terms of partnering with any local brands. It was, it was a bit of a failure, which is why, like, when I walked in here and I said, do you have a Foursquare uh, in your house? And you right. said, no, what? Like, yeah. it was just, you know, it, it could have <laughs> been good. And that's an example of a company that needed that face. They needed that, perhaps even a founder moving over yeah. and being like, I'm going to be the founder of Foursquare Europe or, right. you know, using the kind of... Um, McDonald's brand, you know, just like, okay, you know, you're going to be running Foursquare London, you're like the CEO of that and give them a share. Um, I think for some companies, which are maybe like Stripe, for example, you know, they obviously have a really big team here. 
um, and that they need that because they need to partner with all of the companies that are be using their technology. I'm trying to think of a company that would not benefit from having someone on the ground, and I can't, I can't, nothing really comes to mind. Just yeah. there's cost issues and visa issues, so some of them might be like, I don't want to spend, you know, hundreds of thousands of pounds to get the office and get this person. And get yeah, the which is why I think, like, finding someone that's local that, that gets your business model, and if you have a really, like, beautiful business that's attractive to customers, like, those people will come out of the woodwork to want to be a part of your cause and, like, build your brand for you, you know, in their respective city. I think so like listening to those kind of people, getting them involved early on is probably a really good idea. We were talking sort of New York to London or America to London. What about going the other way around? Do you see the same issues and problems and hiccups from so London to New York? Yeah. Or is it a little easier to kind of, it's like jet lag. You don't get as much jet lag going that way. No, <laughs> that would be great if it were true. Yeah. Um, I've heard of some, some pretty... Someone the other day said that there have been like a number of spectacular failures and that investors in London are really afraid to let their companies that are even past this Series B round move to New mm. York and, and make an entrance there just because it's so noisy in New York, like we were talking about earlier, that you literally have to scream above the rest right. um, to get you know, heard. And I think it's really costly to enter the U.S. market. Um, y Plan's a great example. They've just raised $12.5 million to do it, and they're you know, running it like a military operation. Like We're helping them hire a huge team in New York. Um, so they're not, you know, they're not pussyfooting around, if you right. will. Like, <laughs> they're like, we're here. We're Y Plan. Right, and, we're not throwing a Friday night party. We're, yeah, we're and like, the founders yeah. are like all over the place. So it, it does take an incredible amount of work. I would, I would argue that it's harder for London companies to enter the U.S. market than the other way around. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I, that, I definitely would get that feel. Yeah. Just because like, the, you know, you so can hard. say the Yanks don't get Europe, but you could also argue that we don't really understand, you know, the New York City mentality right. and this whole entrepreneurial spirit that built this country right. where everyone's maybe already thinking, okay, yeah a lot about that stuff and like yeah. you said the noise I mean so you, you can't get press probably in New York but you probably can't even get the meetings you want in New York because there's so much going on and you're like yeah we're here and it's like well unless you're going to climb the shard no one's going to pay any attention yeah and, and or you use not to be self-serving but that's exactly why <laughs> right. I started audience it's just like I, I like I'm here with these London companies my heart like I love them I'm you know just so passionate about seeing them succeed and I I know that the ways that they could do it in the, in the U.S. and I know it's a lot of hard work but I would just like want to help them get over because I see these guys that are like I really want to move to New York and grow my business there and I'm like you totally should like let me right. help you in any way I can, whether it's getting you meetings or getting you press. Right. Those two being sort of my specialty. <laughs> Just out of curiosity, how do you, how does like your revenue model work for, for entrepreneurs that want your help? Is it like because as an entrepreneur, when you're starting up a company, it's always like lean startup, or you're trying yeah. to keep it. And so spending money on like PR is often seen as like, oh, is it really necessary? Is it required? Do I have to? Um, how, how do you get around that? Yeah, I know it's it's tricky, and a lot of people in the client services business for startups right. struggle. Yeah. Um, PR companies are an example of people who have done this before. And when I when I said, "Hey, I'm going to start a marketing consultancy for startups," people were like, "That's a retarded idea. There's no <laughs> way it's going to scale." And I was like, "All right, well, you know how we do it is we're not working with companies that can't afford to think about hiring someone in marketing. Okay. So they're 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 past that level where they have a product that's beautifully designed. They've right. got the dev and design team, but like, and they've probably got like a ton of great content that can be turned into free marketing if okay. positioned correctly. They're just in the stage where they like need those partnerships and that help. And we found the sweet spot for companies for us to work with is like when they're past the Series A round. Okay. Um, a bit of cash in the bank. 
Yeah, right. so they, you know, they're thinking about growth right. as their number one, you know, ambition. Right. So yeah, and I've totally had so many conversations with people that are pre, you know, sure. seed even that I love. They're good friends, and I'm just right. like, ah, like, I can't like, help you. Yeah, yeah it's like sure. I, you know, they say that you should always take like 20 minutes or 10 minutes or whatever it is to help someone in your industry, like not think about like getting paid or whatever. So right. like I spend those coffee meetings with them, and yeah. and you know maybe it'll benefit a lot further down the line. Maybe sure, once they get their Series A, they then come to you for help, right? But you're not a PR company, you're more of like a strategy and marketing company. Like you're yeah. working with yeah. Y, y Plan saying you guys need to do this, this, this. Right, so we're right now we're working with Y Plan in terms of helping them hire, which I actually didn't think that we would be doing. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, yeah, it's almost like a recruitment firm. In a yeah, place. which I yeah. like didn't want to get into. But sure. the thing was, he was like, well, before we start anything, we need to hire a team. And I was people. like, actually, I know a ton of people that would love to work for Y Plan. So like, right. that's a great way to start working together. And I am... Um, in terms of like the PR, we actually partner with a PR company in both New York and London. Uh, so they would handle the sort of reaching out to journalists. And the reason for that is that like I'm a journalist and I don't want to be bugging my friends. But also because a lot of the content strategy work I do is about placing stories. And so it's like a different kind of PR as opposed to like, hey, write about this. Right. But, you know, that having been said, like. I've definitely hit up my friends and been like, you should write about this company. Like, they're really awesome. Mm. Um, I think that, you know, gets back to who you choose to work with. You know, never choose a client that, or a member, as I call them, that you wouldn't want to work with full time. And then it won't really feel like pitching. You'll just be, like, almost informing the journalists and giving them, you know, this really great story to tell. You know, when I started London Real a couple years ago, I contacted a bunch of PR firms and, and social media experts, and they all had one thing in common, which was varying degrees of uselessness. I mean, right. they were just so bad, and I almost spent like 10 grand at one point for like something that I probably could have got on Fiverr.com, you know, for right. those kind of metrics. And right, right. it's really frustrating, you know, and I, I don't think it's maybe London per se, but a lot of the old school, maybe they hire a young kid and they're like, yeah, now we do this, but I've... I've I, I can't seem to identify someone that can really add value to my brand. So if you're talking about getting press, like in the media. Um, Not just that, but yeah, that's okay. one component. Well, like I, w I wouldn't say like I'm an expert in helping someone get a story placed in the Telegraph, but when it comes to the tech press where I'm from, which is like quite an insular scene, it's, it's quite easy if you have a good product and like, you know, you're, you're someone that, maybe reads their stories every single day so you know what gets written on the blog. You, you know like exactly how to, how to marinate it and uh, tell it right. Mm. In terms of adding to your brand, it's really hard because it's your brand, right? It's like you've lived, you think about this thing when you're sleeping, when you're having sex, like when, every single day. And it's like when, <laughs> when you have someone come in and be like, oh, I can tell your brand story for you or like I can help you with marketing. Like it, it just doesn't always work, right? Is that right. what you're trying to say? I just didn't think they had any good ideas and they weren't telling me anything new and I didn't see if I spent money with them they would add any value. That, that, that's the frustration I had. And yeah, I'm, I'm sure it happens all the time. But like a lot of the marketing work I do is all partnerships based. So it's like, let me introduce you to people you can partner with to double your user base or right. to like, you know, exchange emails or whatever it is. So it's, it's about like connecting people more than, you know, having some marketing campaign go out on Google AdWords. Mm. Right, very strategic. Yeah. yeah, it's just like about knowing the networks really well. Like maybe you have spent like a week in London and you think you know some people, but I've spent now like almost three years off and on. So like I know that many more people and that's, that's where I would add value to a New York company. Okay, you're pretty well plugged in. 
Yeah, definitely. You do so many things. I mean, like, there's even other stuff I didn't even mention because it would have taken me like five minutes to introduce her. And sometimes it makes people uncomfortable. <laughs> but like, you have so many things going on, uh, and I just wonder how you how you multitask all of these things because you probably could spend 110 percent time for audience IO, not to mention all the other projects, and you're a journalist and all this stuff. So yeah, so I I do a lot of work with Makeshift, which is um, they're. Uh, probably like two days before I announced the launch of Audience.io, I had already started working for them. So they're interesting because they're not really like a client or a member. They're just like someone that I love working with. And um, they're an early stage like multi-tech product company. And they're like a really new trend in what we're seeing with tech companies now. Either like um, a creative agency spins off a lab is sometimes what they're called. Or like just a startup says, I'm going to build like 10 products and see what works the next three months. Um, so it's like this rapid development, prototyping, very like lean startup in terms of pushing it out. So I've just been helping them a lot in London and like love working for them. And then the other things I'm kind of involved in, yeah, like the journalism bits. Um, at Audience.io, I have two or three people on my team, like two and a half. And I say, look, as part of your, you know, I, I'm not going to send you to training or anything right now. Like we're small, but as part of your work environment, you need to be writing a piece every two weeks that gets published somewhere um, from wherever you've had violence before, or I can help you get a new media outlet that you've always wanted to write for. Just kind of a cool part of our culture. Cool. Um, so writing's really important. So I, I write for Wired Magazine now. I haven't gotten my first piece published yet, but I'm working on three pieces for that, which is a little bit insane. So how, how I how I'd balance all that is I look just look at my days, really. Um, I don't typically do coffee meetings with people um, to pick my brain or anything like that. What I do instead is every two weeks I host a dinner somewhere, um, either at my home or somewhere I've wanted to try, and I just get 10 people in the room. 10. So yeah. like if there's someone that's like, I want to pick your brain, and I'm like, okay, cool, and then see how they act socially. And if they're, <laughs> if they're like the real winner, then I'll like maybe go out with them after. But right. the, um, the benefit for them is like sometimes they do want to meet me, but even more so they want to meet my network. And so it's just like kind of killing two birds with one stone. It's just bringing them all to a dinner and it's just one event as opposed to 10 during the day. Hmm. Um, you know, I make it to the gym every single day as well. Um, either do that on either side. And then I do work like I don't really watch TV shows other than Game of Thrones. Like that's over. So now I've got all this time to do work. I know. It's frustrating. <laughs> Mad Men's over. TV is too good though sometimes. Is it? I don't know what to watch now. So. And I also I took a lot of plane rides. So I get a lot of work done on those. Mm. So five years from now, if you if you're winning, if you're doing like everything you want to do in five years from now, does that mean that Audience IO is huge? It's making lots of revenues, more companies, or does it mean something else is going well for you? Mm, good, good question. I <laughs> I don't think it's going to be huge. Um, it, it's going to be really helpful. I hope. And if it's around in five years, I I hope by that point it's also you know me and two other people that are consistently running it almost as founders. So I'm like looking for those two people now. And I think like it'll still be in New York and London because that was, that was one of my initial inspirations for starting it is I never want to give up either city. And I want to you know, build off of the 3460 miles community that I built and see like if I can turn that into a business. Um, so far, it's going really well. It's been two months though. So thinking five years ahead is, is like crazy. I mean, I'll be... 33 so like I might you know now I feel like I'm like got pregnant with audience I own and running around after this like one-year-old business and like when it's six years old or one five years old like I just I don't know <laughs> I just hope it's really what helpful. school are they going to would yeah. you ever expand like 
open up and you know to help uh, companies maybe go to like Rio or something like that or, or like definitely get, so help sort of connect the the, the international yeah I know I, I love that so before right. I lived in London I lived in Buenos Aires and I've okay. lived in um, my parents moved around quite a bit so I like I have networks sure. all over the US and cool. uh, I think that's why I went with the name Audience.io. It's all about audience development as right. opposed to a name, like my friend suggested, um, trans, no, Atlantastic. <laughs> Atlantastic. Atlantastic. Uh, no, so like yeah, I, I, I wanted to keep it open because I think, for example, right now, I'm, obviously San Francisco is quite a clear choice to help sure. companies move to. Um, I, I won't pretend to have the networks there that I do have in New York and London, so I would need to find someone. Find and I, there are people that have been quite excited in doing this anyway. Um, and then Berlin right now is just killing it. And mm. I feel like there's going to be a point where London becomes maybe unaffordable for a lot of startups from mm. the States sure. to move over. You know, for someone that makes dollars to think about setting up in pounds, it's like, you yeah. know. And it's like one-to-one, -one, the real exchange rate, and even, right? You have to pay someone 50 grand in the U.S. probably, you have to pay them 50 sterling. Right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, actually, to that point, the payment structures for startups is quite different in the New York, London scenes. Um, but the, so what I was saying is I think Berlin is going to be a really viable option for a lot of these startups to come over. And I think we're just going to be seeing a lot of cool stuff coming out of Berlin in the next five years. Okay. You know, London's a really unique city because the center of government is here. It's not like, you know, Washington, D.C. is in New York. And I know you have done some work uh, with 10 Downing and Tech City, is their advisory board. And I was just wondering what was your biggest uh, surprise and disappointment in working with the government? And, yeah. And yes, this is recorded. It's fine. No, I got into a ton of trouble when I first moved over to London. I was working for GA. You get into trouble? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, I said something... I was okay. on like Reuters and they said, well, what's the most surprising part about being in London? And I was like, the government's involvement. Right. And, you know, <laughs> GA looked at that and they were like, <laughs> you know, like, shut up. <laughs> Don't like say anything because 10 Downing was actually like really supportive of bringing us over. Mm. And I actually have like a lot of positive things to say about 10 Downing's involvement in the tech scene and tech city. I mean, we've seen quite a few really valuable players leave the tech city like investment organization recently, which has been worrying. Um, I imagine working for government is quite boring when you're surrounded by a bunch of entrepreneurs doing things at like rapid speed. Um, but anyway, so the, the sort of first reaction was like, whoa, what are they doing here? Because like we had Bloomberg in New York that was really involved. He would show up to demo days and whatnot, but that made sense because it was like local. Um, and I think to have, you know, David Cameron and, and more importantly, like Rowan Silva when he, was, when he was with David Cameron, like coming out and being in the tech scene, it was just like, wow, like... You know, or when we were at 10 it's Downing, like it was Obama like, showing up somewhere. Yeah, it was, it was really intense. Yeah, and yeah. like they were just pouring money into this one part of London. And I think like the most disappointing thing about what they're doing is that they're making East London the home of tech in London. And it's mm. like, well, wait a minute. London's a massive city and like you're missing out on like huge opportunities by not just saying like London's a tech destination. Right. Like why aren't we also building up different parts of London, like Clerkenwell and, and West where you sure. live, right? Yeah. Like there's people over in Notting Hill. Are they not part of the tech scene? Right. <laughs> so, does that include Cambridge too? I mean, do you want to make it really big? I would, I mean, stick to, to London, to London as a city, okay. but yeah, Cambridge yeah. has got amazing things coming out of it. Yeah. But then, you know, then it's like kind of New York to Boston perhaps. And like right. how those, you know, we wouldn't call that all New York. Um, so I think, yeah, why, widening, like, and just embracing all of London as, as this tech city, as opposed to just the short edge and old street roundabout would make more right. sense. Okay. 
And what's it like dealing with the government? What do you, what, what, and what is your capacity with them and Tech City? I mean, it's really just breakfasts every few months and then just getting up to speed on who's doing what. And the, uh, they're quite formal. Bad okay. coffee, good croissants. Okay. <laughs> That would have been the opposite, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> so it's formal there in suits. You go down to Parliament. I out. mean, it's, it's at 10 Downing, so you okay. get dressed up. And I right. think, like, I'll never get over the fact that I'm, like, in front of this door with a number 10 behind it, like, That's at a meeting. Real. Yeah, it feels, it feels really special. Um, you know, I have, I have friends that have brought their U.S. companies over, and they've been welcomed at 10 Downing, which is, wow. like, <laughs> yeah, no, it's welcome. It is strange, and, and yeah. Ben Ben Southworth was our first guest here, and you know he he went from you know tech startup to you know the government, and then now he's yeah. back, and it, he was just talking about the power that they had. He yeah. was just like, yeah, we need more four G coverage here, right. and they were like, done. Right. It was just like you know the king was like, that's done. Yeah, exactly. And uh, right. he was amazed by the power, also frustrated by some things that he he you know he wanted to get done more with like curriculums, like getting curriculum. coding in the curriculums and yeah. stuff for children. So. He was just talking yesterday about. Um, opening up the tier one visa again for uh, engineers who, and then judging their quality off of their GitHub profiles. And the co government was like, GitHub, you know, like right. they just need to be educated. And that that's totally fair. This isn't their job to read TechCrunch, right? But it, they should be like appointing someone to educate them on that and then kind of trust that person and forming policy around that. And I think that they did. I think Rohan Silva was, was from all intents and purposes on the outside looking in, like really great for that. Mm. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I don't have too many complaints about what they're doing. I just think it's like really crazy because it, was um, much more organically developed in New York, and it was up to the people to kind of build these infrastructures right. as opposed to the government. government. Yeah, Do you think like, Boris should be getting more involved? Hell yeah. yeah. That's like the Boris local looks like side. an awesome guy. I want right. him at more tech events. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know he was at, at the Innotech Summit for the last two years, but, but yeah, I, he should be out a little bit more. I think he's, because he's such I a I want him coming in guy. on a zip line yeah. to like the <laughs> Silicon <laughs> drink about every Friday. <laughs> there we go. We'll talk to Bryce, maybe. He, he would do that, yeah, I think. Yeah, I like Boris. He, yeah. he, he could do he more. He's such a character. Yeah, he's a good character. Um, a question for you. If you could make a phone call to the 20-year-old Courtney and oh, give, her, give her a piece of advice, not that she would listen to you, but assuming she <laughs> would, um, what would it be? And, it, and you can't tell her, just keep doing what you're doing, girl. No. You, you, you got to actually tell her something. Or, is there any advice you would give that? that younger woman as far as career advice or any personal advice? Yeah, I, you know, I think I was in university at the time paying quite a lot per year to, to go to a school in the middle of nowhere and sit on the quad and write poetry and like smoke hookah. Like, I feel like I could have much, like spent my time much better either, you know, I did travel quite a lot, I studied abroad, but even doing more of that as opposed to like four years down in Virginia, I did like maybe just one and then right. like living in cities all over the world, I think, and then learning what I wanted to from the internet, like the way that education is going. Um, you know, I, I really hope that my kids don't go to university in it's the traditional sense. Okay. Like, there's just no point. Four years. Yeah, it makes place. no, I mean, especially as expensive yeah. as the, the states have their tuition set, it's like, you know, 30, 40 grand a year. Yeah, that's, yeah. Ridiculous. that's ridiculous. I mean, you could, you could go around cold. the world, you can take cooking in Italy, you can yeah. like, you know, go learn Mandarin, like, you know, just endless yeah. possibilities. And like, we're sitting reading books in like a library. It just, it okay. doesn't yeah. make Outdated sense. Outdated business model, think, you think? Yeah, I think like I, I think it's tough though. I think you learn so much just 
growing up in, in university, like just getting things done on time and do you know what I mean? Had tasks and, and getting things completed and working in groups and if you just kind of yeah, social around direction. But trying if you haven't learned that in high school, it's like what were you doing then? Yeah, I was just not doing anything <laughs> in high school. But high I didn't school, learn I anything in high school. I didn't learn anything in high school. Especially I just nothing about social. So how do we how do we like inspire the fourteen year olds in us to like right. get a bit more serious. serious about things earlier and like my, at 20, I was like set on the right path, but at mm. 15, 16, that's when I would like to just call myself and be like, girl, yeah. house parties on the weekends don't matter. Like, right. this is this <laughs> But they do when you're in <laughs> yeah, Type stands? No. She would definitely hang up on you. Maybe, maybe yeah. just a little bit less, Clip. you know? Okay. It's just like the, yeah. the time spent, I feel like. Sure. Um, you only get a certain amount of cool points in your life. Like, don't blow them all when you're a teenager. Cool points. What's a cool point? Yeah, it's like, you know, just physical body energy, like the ability to like, like I'm not able to go out and party the way I was when I was 16 and I'm only 28. Like, yeah. what? Yeah. But if I <laughs> know, that's the worst part about growing up. No <laughs> comment. The hangovers, yes. yeah. If I had like maybe stayed a bit steady on, like my right. friends that never partied in high school are now like a burning man every summer. And I'm like, oh man. Just don't have the energy. Right. Left it all in, you know, back of some kid's Jeep Wrangler. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's good. Uh, on that same on that same note, what's the best advice you've ever been given? Mm. Uh, let's see. I'm sure it's some journalistic advice, probably some old school writer. Best advice. There's been so much; it's hard to pick one. Um, oh well, one thing that comes to mind is I was like really nervous to leave New York City. And I was like, I feel like I, I, my network was there, right? Which, which feels like you're, you're literally your network is holding you up. And my friend just looks at me and he's just like, girl, the world, he's like this big gay man, the world is global, baby. Go enjoy it. And I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> the world is, okay. And I was like, all right, cool. Because yeah. like, it's, you know, New York's always going to be there. Right. It's not like moving anywhere. It's not like I'm pissing people off by not being in New York, you know, like right. the wheels are turning. So like, I guess back to what I would tell the 20 year old me is just like, go out there and get as much experience as you possibly can. A lot of people are scared to leave New York, you know, it's the big show, right. you know. I find I, the U.S. like that in general. Like, people you know, always want to go back, I think. But. Yeah, but in Americans, people from the U.S. don't travel that much, right? If, if you look, like there's so many people in the U.S., but a lot of them don't even have passports. Just to fi finish this advice question, I mean, you talked about the 15 year olds and stuff like that. I'm, there, I'm sure there may be some teenagers watching this and they're like, I want to be like Courtney one day. Right. I mean, she's really killing it. Yeah. You are really killing it, by the yeah. way. But what, what advice do you give to them, you know, uh, besides don't go to college? But I mean, if, if they're seeing all this excitement about the drink, about it, they're like, I want to do this, I want to start my own tech startup, I want to do this. Yeah. What, what's a simple piece of advice you would give them? Say 15. Yeah, I mean, just like, get involved this one amazing guy Andrew Bracken who I think is like 18 or 19 he came up to me he was like this pipsqueak kid like 16 years old flew over from London to New York to go to the TechCrunch Disrupt conference boldly came right up to me and said I read your writing da 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 like really? love it you're so cool and I was like you're totally not allowed to be drinking but that's awesome and we hung out and we followed each other on Twitter and this guy like just became so kind of with it and he applied to Peter Thiel's program for like under 20 fellowships and got in and now he's in San Francisco like wow. living the dream you know mm. but you know it just that kind of ambition is is awesome and it 
it's so much easier to do now because you can just reach out to people on Twitter. You can like see what's happening on the internet as opposed to like when we and I were growing up and we were like in chat rooms on AOL being like ASL question mark. Like it was was really different. We didn't know. I didn't Um, grow up in chat rooms. You didn't? But but no, but I know what you mean. Okay. Age, sex, location, question mark was ASL. Oh. I didn't know that either. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) See, you said too much. The the internet really didn't start picking up for me until kind of I hit university almost. Oh, really? How old are you? Yeah, 31. Okay. Yeah, later for me. See, like, I'm 28, so I literally got on the internet as I hit puberty at, like, 12 or 13. Like, it was just kind of a weird thing there, right? Like, growing up without it as a 10-year-old, and then all of a sudden, you're alive, and you're on the internet. But I agree with you. Never underestimate the power of your own hustle. Yeah. Like even with London Real, if I get someone coming in and they're pitching me, and then they were pitching me the next week, and they're pitching me, I'm like, who is this kid? Yeah. All right, I'll, I'll meet you. You know, if you're really coming out and you're putting it all on the line, and I don't yeah. see enough of that. No, I don't. A lot of people give up. They do this half-ass try. Yeah. So yeah. I, I think yeah, getting out there and just doing it. Yeah, yeah. If you think you don't have the degree or you don't have the resources or not, just the hustle and the drive can get you there. And people are impressed by that. Stuff. I think like yeah. New York teaches people how to hustle. I mean, I had this one friend that was amazing, like, in order to start his own cooking show, he would be, like, doing things in Central Park, like, selling granola bars. Like, he'd find these jobs on Craigslist, which is, like, right. our gum tree, like, how to quick, you know, make a few bucks an hour just to, like, pay rent and whatnot to get his own thing started. Um, you know, hopefully you don't have to do that anymore if, if you're, like, over the age of 26 or 27, you've built up enough connections to maybe get some investment if you need to, but... Yeah, I mean, when you're 20 and you're young, it's just like you got to learn to hustle. Yeah, yeah, they hustle in New York. They, they, they teach do, people yeah. how to hustle. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm going to wrap this up, but I just wanted to, to just get your perspective on one final thing. I mean, we see all these businesses building, like you creating Y Plans, New York Strategy, and all these startups, and it's like it seems like they're all trying to rush and, and to, to be the first one to do something successfully. And when you have an organization of like 20, 50, 100 people, like you're hiring and stuff, like – What's like the one thing, like John Collison said they had a way of communicating where everyone was on these email groups and when the lawyers signed a document, they told the whole company about a success yeah. and when the sales team did something, the whole company found out about the success. But what's like the most important thing when it comes to you giving advice to say Y Plan or someone else as far as just the communication factor uh, and just people working together and talking and staying on the same you know, vibe? Yeah. So I've, that I've, could screw something up, right? It's true. And I've worked on a few global teams before and it's... Um, I've worked on one global team where we were constantly talking all day long and we had like, it wasn't like an intranet, but I mean, I guess it kind of was, it was chatting and we were talking and sharing what we were reading and just maintaining company culture across these digital divides. And the, uh, the other company I worked for where we didn't have that was so different. It was just kind of like you get this email from someone that was like, no, you're doing it wrong. But the really hard part about that is that because you're not in real life with them, they can't also pat you on the back on your way to like the water cooler to right. show you that there's like love involved too and teamwork. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think like just thinking about that as you're growing your global team, like it's so important for founders to be in the new city with their new team as opposed to just letting the expansion happen. Um, so. Well, you know, we're not as involved with Y Plan Strategy yet, but, like, we had a conversation with um, their team, and they're moving, like, most people over to New York. You know, like, that's, that's like, a major part of their strategy is just to be there. Um, you know, and then I think, like, the founders probably plan to live on a plane between New York and London for the next two years, and that's just kind of what you have to do. Um, I know it's like really hard and expensive that gets back to like what we were saying earlier. It's like this mm. takes a lot of money. But they have do. one shot to get it right. I mean, you said Foursquare probably didn't get it right. Can yeah. they try a second time or not? Uh, 
I think Foursquare like could have tried a second time, but now it's been like two okay. or three years, so it'd be a little weird. It feels like Y Plan has one shot. I mean, probably from a financial issue, they have one shot to build that brand. Yeah. But then the the, the public is probably not going to take version 2.0. So I, th I think Foursquare, if they if they pivoted like their value add, could. Um, I think Y Plan needs to get it right the first time because we've seen companies just like Y Plan in New York already start up and fail. Right. Okay. So. Wow. Pressure. Yeah, pressure's so on for them. I love it. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> but I've never met a team with like as dynamic talents that work mm. together so well as that team. Yeah, I saw them at the web too, and yeah, that's when I downloaded it. I heard an interview with their CEO, so it was good. Yeah, cool. Good stuff. Um, I have to apologize to John and Ben because Courtney's my favorite guest. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much for being here. Thank I just, you. I mean, we could talk for hours. You have a lot of really interesting things to say and really good perspectives. Oh, thanks for having me. And I'm glad you're over here because it's nice to get the New York perspective over here. But, you know, you don't have a everything sucks in London vibe. You guys don't know what to do in New York. We got it right. You know, it's, it's good to try to see the benefits of the London culture. And, yeah. you know, we were talking to Bryce about that. The fact that you can go to these drinkabouts and it's a relaxed day at the pub it's not just a, a speed dating pitch night right. is there are some benefits of that no london's a really inspiring like wonderful place to be and i think it's connecting the two cities that i want to be doing more of awesome what a great niche for you that's yeah, cool yeah, that's great. all right well that's it um silicon reel it's about the people if you want to check us out we're on twitter we're on itunes now uh or on facebook and we're just going to be keep doing these uh, every week some interesting person in the london in the London tech startup scene. This yeah. is fun as hell. It's fun. And if you have any <laughs> advice or any, you know, videos or pictures or, you know, guests, man, it's, it's, for, it's for the community. So. Yeah, total community so, feel. So, so tell us go. who you want. Yeah. And if you uh, even have any footage or pictures of the scene, I'll put it in the intro. Yeah. And like, yeah, we're just doing this with your help. If it wasn't for the Beards and Bens and all these people giving us ideas, we couldn't do this on our own. So, yeah. uh, so there you go. Thanks for coming. Thank you so much for having yeah, me. Thanks. Okay, take care. Welcome to London. Like, good at taking that into your stride. And one thing that's been really cool to see as the company has grown is, you know, when you start out, you're these, like, you know, you're uh, two or three or four or five people working on uh, this idea. And it's not even clear if this, like, idea is a good idea. And it's not even clear if anyone will use it. And, you know, it, it's very much uh, you in this, like, uncertain.